The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. All right, well, hey, good morning and welcome to Summit Church. Those images that you just saw were from last year's Go Serve Day. And uh, what I want to help us see is that last year, about 120 people from Summit Church gathered on one day to serve four different organizations, ministries, missions uh, that were making an impact. And literally, it was just about the church getting outside of the walls and being the hands and the feet of Jesus. In six days, we have our next Go Serve Day, and we have partnered with seven different organizations. And now this is the third time that I've made this appeal, and so I don't know how we've done thus far in the first two services, but as this morning when I came in, we were only about 50% of the way to where we needed to be as far as sign-ups for people to go serve so that those seven organizations all get what they've asked us to do. Um, And as a church, uh, this is just me being really candid, uh, a church our size, if we can't get 120 people to sign up for three hours on a Saturday morning or afternoon to go serve, to kind of put our hands and our feet where our mouths are. If we can't do that, that's, that's bad. And so I, I really am I'm not comfortable calling any of those organizations being like, sorry, we just didn't have enough people sign up to do this. And so it, it, maybe it's just a, a mental lapse. Oh, I meant to sign up. Or maybe it's like, I'm, I'm just seeing if our schedules are going to clear up. The reason we need you to sign up is because some of the organizations we're partnering with need six people, and some of them need 30. And, and the ones that need 30, you can't, have, you can't have six show up. And the ones that need six, you can't have 30 show up. It, it, you see, it, it needs to be kind of logistical and strategic. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is, when the service is over, walk out either of the doors, turn left or right, I think, yeah, left or right, and, and right in the middle, there's a sign, looks like that, and there's a woman named Kelly there, and if you're like, hey, I, I, I think I want to serve, I would encourage you to sign up to do so. And let me say what my favorite part of last year's was. There are many great things that came out last year's Go Serve Day, but here's my favorite. At each location, we had a couple families serving together. Parents with kids who are 8, 9, 10, 12, 13 years old. Now, I, I have a 6 and a 4-year-old. They probably, honestly, would be more of a hindrance than a help, okay, to, to the painting and whatnot. Um, but to the parents in the room, if you've got kids, preteens, teens, talk about a teed-up opportunity to look at your kids and go, this is what we're doing today because this is what our family needs to be about. And there's an opportunity for us to do this, so this is what we're going to do. And when they're like, I don't want to do that, you're like, that's what we do. <laughs> and we do it because we believe that we can't just sit in these walls and receive. We need to be contributors. We need to be people that serve. So a, a great opportunity. Go sign up. I, I want to be able to tell all seven organizations, we're, we're there. We're coming, and we've got you covered. So uh, that's one. Second thing, since this is the 11 o'clock service, I, I don't think any of you are like, I meant to show up at 8.15 this morning for that service, but we just slept in. I don't think anyone did that, um, but just so you know, next Sunday, we will not have our 8.15 service, and, and there's two reasons for that. One, next Sunday is our baptism celebration Sunday, and so we have baptisms at our 9.30 and our 11 o'clock service. We have uh, parent-child dedication at both services. I'm still going to preach at both services. We did not have any baptisms or child dedications for the 8.15 service, and so people would have walked in and been like, why are you only preaching for 15 minutes, bro? <laughs> did you get lazy this week? We, we just didn't have anything to really fill that time slot. And the second reason that uh, we're actually going to cut the 8.15 through the summer starting next week. The reason we're doing that is because when we moved into this building five Sundays ago, 
I was praying and hoping that God would choose to grow this congregation. And in reality, what God's done in the last five Sundays is grow this congregation by about 35%. And, and that, that's a huge thank you, God, for being incredibly faithful. Those are lives that are being reached and transformed. And I was sure that we would need three services to do that. Because when you see this building, you're like, it's not very big. That lobby's kind of small, and this room's kind of small. Uh, last Sunday in the 930 service alone, we had over 650 people, including kids, in this building. 650 in this building in one service. You're like, I still don't know where they all fit. I have no idea. Uh, but it happened, and what is being proven to be true, to me at least, is that God did what he said he was going to do, and he, was, he is growing a faithful congregation of people and somehow this building's like the fish in the loaves, man. It just multiplies. And, and people can just squeeze in. So I think two services through the summer, we still have room to grow. And now, if those of you are like, I love 815. 815's my jam. I just didn't make it today. Um, if that's you, I'm sure I'm talking to like half of one person. But if that's you, <laughs> then I want you to know, come fall, we're praying that we're going to need to bring it back for, to handle the growth. We, I thought we need it right now. God grew the church more than I thought was going to happen, in all honesty. Forgive my lack of faith, and, and we're good, but we just didn't, we don't need the third service to do that. So two services moving forward starting next week, 9, 30, and 11. For the half one of you, I'm sorry. So um, we're in John chapter 12 today. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 29. Let's pray and see what God has for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for the joy that is being in your presence. I pray you come and you speak to us this morning through your word, transform us from the inside out, through your Holy Spirit, God, let us leave here looking more like you. We love you, we honor you, and today we seek to glorify you in every way. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Um, I think 15 years is about how long I've been in ministry, give or take. And in those 15 years, one of the cool things you get to do as a pastor is you get to marry people. You get to not, not marry like April, you get to perform the ceremony. Get to marry people. And I've always been in relatively young churches, so a lot of people getting married. And I, I think, give or take, I've done about 60 weddings in, in 15 years. Come June and July, it's like every weekend. I'm in some chapel somewhere marrying someone. There's people in this room right now. That I, I married you. And in every wedding I've done, 60-something weddings, somewhere in the middle of the ceremony, I look at the bride and the groom, Regardless of their age, regardless of if it's their first marriage or their third marriage, I, I look at the bride and the groom and I say to them, it is my challenge to you and my prayer for you that you will glorify God more together than you ever could apart. And, and to me, now the vows are like the epicenter of a wedding, but to me that is it. That is the reason if they are getting married, it should be at some level so that they can glorify God more together than they ever can apart. I believe that because I think as human beings, not as Christians, as human beings, I think we were created to glorify God. I think that is our ultimate goal, is to glorify God. I think God created us in his perfect image for the purpose of glorifying him. Now, there's some people that don't agree with that. But if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and we can debate this, but I promise you're wrong, the, it, I think as a follower of Jesus, 
the ultimate goal that you should have is the goal to glorify God. Now, you can have hundreds of other goals, goals that have to do with God, goals that don't have to do with God. I mean, as a, as a person, I hope you have multiple goals. But the ultimate goal, the one that drives everything else, should be the goal to glorify God. And you're like, well, is that my purpose then? Not to belabor something, I, I think there is a difference between a goal or your ultimate goal and your purpose. I think your purpose is more specific. I think it has to do with who you are, who God created you to be, the gifts and talents that you possess make you different than the person sitting next to you. I think it's your purpose. I think God will use your purpose to glorify himself. But unanimously, across the board, just as human beings, I think our goal, our ultimate goal, is to glorify God. And in our passage today, in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 29, I think Jesus talks about how we do that. How we glorify God with our lives. So let's dive in. The first three verses really just set up the context for the teaching that Jesus will do. So verses 20 through 22, here we go. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. That's the Passover festival. If you've been with us, we've been walking through the Gospel of John, Passover festival. It's last week of Jesus' life. He is the biggest name around Jerusalem at this moment. Tens of thousands of people have come together to worship God, but they're also all kind of talking about Jesus. Within that throng of people, there's a group of Greeks who have come to worship. They are proselytes, meaning this. They love God, they want to worship God, but they have not converted fully to Judaism. The reason they haven't fully converted to Judaism is because in order to do so, they would need to be circumcised, and these are full-grown men. Now, I don't know about you, but next Sunday we will have baptism where I know there are full-grown men and women who are like, I don't know if I feel comfortable coming up here and getting baptized in front of everyone else, making it public, my faith. If it's between baptism and circumcision <laughs> to take your faith public, it's a you pick them, all right? <laughs> Old and New Testament, but you, you just go ahead and it's okay. So the, I... I kind of get why these guys are like, we're cool just being God worshipers. We don't need to be Jews. We're cool. Like, I kind of get that. So um, the, this group of proselytes, they came to Philip. The reason they came to Philip, one of the 12 disciples, is because he's one of two disciples that kept his Greek name. So I think they feel familiarity and some comfort there, some kinship. Uh, he was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they came with this request. They said, sir, we want to see Jesus. Yeah, you and about... 100,000 other people want to see Jesus in, in this Passover festival time. So this is a, not a unique request. But they go to Philip and they say, we would like an audience with Jesus. Philip then goes to Andrew. Andrew is Peter's brother. You have Andrew, Peter, James, and John. Those are the four fishermen that Jesus called to be his disciples. Come on, I'll make you fishers of men. Peter, James, and John are the inner three. We hear about them all throughout the Gospels, that they are Jesus' closest friends. How Andrew, the brother of Peter, got left out of that, we're not sure. But we, do, we can assume that he has a little bit more access to Jesus maybe than the rest. So that's why Philip goes and gets Andrew. Andrew and Philip go together, and they in turn tell Jesus about what this group of proselytes want. They want a meeting. Now, here's what's unique about this. The next verse when you read it, it's simply Jesus' response. It's a response to a question that we do not have recorded. It's a response to a group of people that are not identified. The only reason we know it's a group is because verse 29 says there's a bunch of people listening. 
So it's kind of misleading to make assumptions as to what Jesus is responding to and even to whom he's responding. But I think from the context of his response, you can make some assumptions. Assumptions are dangerous, so that we're not pulling biblical truth out of this. But here's what I think is happening based on Jesus' response. I cannot prove this, and if you don't think it's what happens, that's cool, because I'm just assuming. But here's what I think is happening. This group of Greek proselytes, they want to meet with Jesus because they want to encourage Jesus to get the heck out of Dodge. They want to look at Jesus and they want to go, you're in Jerusalem, the religious leaders want to kill you. They're going to kill you. We don't care much for the religious leaders because they want to circumcise us. So here's what we're thinking. Let's grab you Go out to one of our Greek communities. We've got some friends and family there. They would love to meet you. They're not going to try and kill you. Let's save your life. You come hang out with us, and, and all will be good. I, I'm assuming, it's a huge assumption, that that is what these proselytes wanted to talk to Jesus about. And the reason I'm assuming that, and the reason I'm assuming they made it, and possibly even pitched their idea to him, is because of how Jesus responds. And the way that Jesus responds in John chapter 12 is very similar to how he responded two years earlier. Two years earlier, Peter made this beautiful proclamation. Peter looks at Jesus and says, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. Jesus looks at Peter and goes, man, you didn't get that from men. That came straight from God. You are correct. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. Praise Peter. And then Peter's kind of on high at that point. So he's like, let me tell you some other stuff you need to know, Jesus. Um, this idea of you going and dying on a cross, because Jesus had told his disciples at least once at that point, I have to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed in the hands of sinners, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. And so Peter's like, that's not how it's going to go down, man. You, you can't do it that way. You're, you're too important. You have too much purpose, too much destiny to get hung on a cross. If we look here in Matthew chapter 16, verses 22 through 25, we see how that conversation ended two years before John chapter 12. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, you'll never go to a cross. That's not how your life's going to end. That's not your purpose. This shall not happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That had to hurt. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus turned and said to the rest of his disciples, teaching moment, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. Two years before, when someone tried to derail Jesus' plan to redeem and reconcile the whole world through the giving of his life, this is how he responds. Now back in John chapter 12, we have recorded Jesus' response to some group of people, to some question. We're having to make assumptions there, but here's what he says. Jesus replied, verse 23, John chapter 12, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. At least four times in our study of the Gospel of John, people have reached out to try and seize Jesus. People have tried to arrest Jesus. People have tried to kill Jesus. And at least four times, Jesus said, hey, i got to get out of here because this is not my hour. It's not my time. But now he is publicly declaring the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's game time. 
my destiny, my purpose, to reconcile and renew the entire world. It's here. The hour has come. Very truly, I tell you, and he will speak in an illustration or an allegory. He will say, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, this kernel of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, it produces many seeds. That's why I think someone said, hey, let's save you. Let's get you out of town. The hour's come. I've got something I need to do. And and the reason I've got to do it is because if I left, if I left and went and hung out in a Greek village and olives and grapes and palms and it was awesome, then yeah, I might be able to save you and some of your friends, but if I die then what's going to happen is I'm going to raise again on the third day, but my church is going to raise up with me on the day of Pentecost. And fueled by the Holy Spirit, thousands of men and women are then going to go out with the message that I could take myself, sure, but then that'd just be one. If we want tens of thousands and millions of people spreading the gospel, then I've got to die to fulfill my purpose, to ultimately reach my goal, which is glorifying the Father. Now, what Jesus does next is begin, I think, to teach us about what a life lived for the glory of God looks like. And it's very similar to what he said in Matthew chapter 16, but he says it here in John chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. So he said earlier, anyone who tries to save their life will lose it. Now he says anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's a tough teaching. That's not very easy to swallow. But in that, he's he's saying the same thing he's already said. Save your life, you need to lose it. Try Try to keep your life, no good. I see in here a tough teaching, but he goes on in verse 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. Look at that phrase. Whoever serves me follows me. Where I am, my servant also will be. So there's two distinguishing marks of one who's living for the glory of God there. And then this next phrase, it caught me off guard when I read it this week. It it, it really hit me as, as unique. My father will honor the one who serves me. The God of the universe who really, in all honesty, owes you nothing, owes me nothing, he's God, will honor the one who chooses with their life to serve Jesus. So what does the word honor mean? Is it like just eternity? Is it you know, provision? Is it protection? Is it blessing? What, what am I getting out of this deal? So if I serve Jesus, what, what, how God's going to honor me with what? Well, the word just means Honor. But I think implied in that is all of those things. Those who serve Jesus will be honored by God. That's, that's huge. Let's think of it this way. You choose to live for you in your life now, then in eternity you will live without God. Now I know that's a hard teaching, but it's a simple, simple fact. You choose to live for you in your life now, then you will choose to live separated from God for eternity. You choose to live for God and give him your life now, you will live with him for eternity. 
But this teaching doesn't just speak about after you take your last breath. It's talking about now. It's talking about this moment. You choose to live for God now. Not only will you be with him in eternity, but what that will look like is you serving Jesus. What does a life lived glorifying God look like? It looks like serving Jesus. Now, there's some phrases that say you will serve him, you will follow him, you will be with him. Those are on verse 26. So serve him, follow him, be with him. We, we at Summit say that a disciple is one who does what Jesus does, teaches what he teaches, and represents Jesus in his absence. I mean, similar to this. But that is the way that you glorify God with your life, and in doing so, then God will honor those who serve Jesus. Verse 27 gives me a lot of hope. A lot of hope. Because that idea of laying down my life, as John says, hating my life, it's, it's a hard concept. It's something that I get the truth, but it's hard to do. It's hard to live out. And in verse 27, we see that the same is true for Jesus. Living out this truth and glorifying God is, is something that is hard even for him to do. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled. It's very similar to the language that Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, my soul is anguished to the point of death. So the words are different. In fact, anguish to the point of death is much stronger. But here what Jesus is saying is, my soul is troubled. What am I going to say then? What am I going to say? I'm conflicted. I know the goal, I know my purpose to attain the goal, but my soul is troubled. What am I going to say? Am I going to say, Father, save me from this hour? Am I going to say that? This conversation is happening on Tuesday, on Thursday night. Jesus will pray that exact prayer. Father, save me from this hour. If there's any other way. So yes, he will. He will pray that prayer. But he finishes that prayer, if you remember from last week. He finishes that prayer, not my will, but yours be done. So what, what do I need to say? Father, save me? Yes, he will say that. But then he finishes it. No, 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 no. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. The reconciliation, the redemption, the renewal of all mankind. It's for this, hour. It's for this reason that I'm here. There's one reason why Jesus, knowing the suffering that would come, would be willing to go through it, would be willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. And the next words in verse 28 tell me that reason. Read them with me. Father, glorify your name. The glory of God, the ultimate goal for all of us is Jesus' same ultimate goal. This hour might sting. <laughs> But Father, glorify your name. Do you notice the exclamation mark there? I don't know how many people are hearing this, but I think Jesus shouted it. What do I say? Should I pray that this hour will pass? No, I, I can't. I came for this reason. Father, glorify your name. I'm going to need your strength. Father, you're going to have to get me through this one. Glorify your name. Do not let me miss this opportunity to glorify you. Father, glorify your name. It gives me hope. That even Jesus had to pray that. That even Jesus is like, I don't like what I'm seeing, but Father, glorify your name. 
something stirred in that moment. Because look who responded. Man, a voice came down from heaven. Who do we think this is? This is like David. It's an angel. No! Father, glorify your name. What does God do? I got you, son. (laughs) Hear you loud and clear. And I believe that God says this next thing with a redneck accent. I think this is true. Father, glorify your name. I have glorified it. Son, I've glorified it. And I'm going to glorify it again. I'm going to keep glorifying it. And you don't need to worry your pretty little face, son, because it's done being glorified, and it's going to continue to be glorified because I'm God. And he speaks that, and everyone there hears it, but there's some morons in the crowd, so they say, uh, I think that was thunder. But there's no clouds. There's some slightly smarter people who then said, it was an angel. It was God. And what he said is so true. And I know that for a lot of us, this concept, it's hard to wrestle with. But here it is. Ready, church? God, in his sovereignty, worries the most about his own glory. And I know that in our selfishness, we really want his number one concern to be us. God, I love that you get your glory. Just make sure that in taking care of yourself, you also take care of me. Right? We can't admit that, but it's true. And I know that in some ways we're like, is that really a loving God who perfectly, wonderfully created us and sent his son to die for us? He clearly cares. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely he does. The cross demands us to believe that he cares and loves us. But, above that, he's about his glory. And and here's the reality. For him to put anyone or anything ahead of his own glory would be idolatry. And I read the Bible. It's against that. God cannot idolize anyone or anything above himself. That's just one of the problems of being God. In order to love and put himself first, he has to love and put himself first. It's hard for us to grasp that. But there's another truth that I think sometimes we grasp and we allow it to let us be lazy. It's that God's glory is in no way in jeopardy. If you choose to be obedient to the opportunities that you have in your life to glorify him, then he will be glorified. If you choose to be disobedient to God, then guess what? He'll use someone else to glorify himself. In no way is his ultimate glory ever in jeopardy. He will get his. The only question is, who will give it to him. So like, if, if he's looking at me going, Todd, here's your opportunity to glorify me, and I go, ha sorry, love my life, don't want to do that. He doesn't go, oh, heavens, 
how will I ever be glorified? He goes, Ryan, you're up. <laughs> Todd's a moron. Yeah, <laughs> I gave him first dibs. I'm going to go to you. Ryan says, I got this. He doesn't do it. Nathan's up. God's going to get his glory. There's no doubt about that. The only question is, will you be the one that gives it to him? That's the only question. Will you be the one that gives it to him? The present suffering that you're in, will you allow God to use that for his glory? Whatever it is, the circumstances that you're suffering through right now, I started with it, I'll bring it back. Your marriage. Will you use your marriage to glorify God? Yes or no? Anyone worked 60 hours last week? You came home every night and just hit the pillow because you're done, you're spent. You put, you put it all on the field, all those other weird sports analogies. Any, anyone? Do you work to build your own kingdom? Your own security, your own comfort, pad your own bank account? Or is that work? Or are those 60 hours for the glory of God? Which one? I was 26 years old when I discovered my purpose. What's specific to me? What God created me to do? Some people discover that earlier. Some people still haven't discovered it. But if you know, if you know why God puts you on this earth, your purpose are you using it to glorify God? Because I promise you, your God-given purpose was given to you so that you can, so that you would glorify him. Promise you that. Some of us are like, man, I'm just a stinking talented dude. <laughs> you know, like, I'm just, my purposes are for, for me. There's some bumper sticker verses that I want to give you real quick. Uh, really, that just means you should memorize them or make them bumper stickers, whichever you want to do. Um, they, they are 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and Colossians 3, 17. Just, just good reminders that everything that we do and everything that we are, we are and we do it for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, because I'm a Bible guy, I've got to tell you that in context, 1 Corinthians 10 is talking about very specific things. It's talking about food. But that phrase, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, I believe that is a biblical truth. Whatever you do. Marriage, suffering, work, purpose, passion, relationships, finances, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. Colossians 3, whatever you do, there it is. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it all in his name. Do it all for him. You can say, do it all for his glory. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As the band comes back up here, I never like to end on a negative but I want to ask the question in a negative way because I think it will help drive home our response. What in your life, if anything, are you currently doing that is robbing God of his just and due glory? 
your relationship, your work, your finances, your life, your purpose. Is there anything, is there anything that you are currently doing that is robbing God of the glory that he is due? If there is, then the way I want you to respond today is I want you to come up and let one of our pastors or prayer team members will be on both sides, I'll be on this side. I want you to come up and just be like, hey, I'm robbing God in this way. I'm sorry. He's, my ultimate goal is to glorify him and I I know that and I've just been off and, and I'm sorry and just tell him that. Is there anything you're doing that's robbing God? Is there any burden that you're carrying that is making it difficult for you to glorify God? There's a statement that we use around here. It goes this way. Um, Whoever carries the burden to the end gets the glory. And it's taken kind of as an application of 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, cast your burdens upon me, on him, God. Cast your burdens upon him because he cares about you. So are you carrying around anything today that's making it hard for you to glorify God? And if if that's you, then what God says is, Give me that burden. But why would he want all of our burdens? Not, it can't just be because he cares about us. No, it's because whoever carries the burden to the end gets the glory. Do you see how crazy cool that is, church? Let, let, me, let me explain this very clearly. If you walk up here and pray about anything in your life, not only are you going to unleash the power of God, but in taking that burden, your own or someone else's, and casting it on God, you're actually glorifying him. That's nuts. That is crazy to me that a God worked it out that way, that we can come weak and humble and give him our burden. He's like, thank you for giving me my glory. And you're like, you're welcome. (laughs) Take it. That's amazing to me that that's how it works. But whoever carries the burden to the end gets the glory. So maybe the way today you most glorify God is giving him whatever it is that's stopping you from glorifying him. I don't know. But I know this, we've got communion in the back of the room. We've got an opportunity right now to respond to a God who is worthy of all the glory, who created you to glorify him. And if you're wondering why life seems all chaotic, maybe you need to look and see, are you fulfilling your ultimate goal? Are you glorifying God with your life? It's going to look like serving Jesus, casting burdens upon him. And Father, today I pray for this church, for each individual that we would respond to you in a way that would glorify you most. Come and receive your glory, Father. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand, church. Let's respond to him.